Lord, uh, this week Pamela and I were in New York visiting my mom in Rye, New York. Mom, if you're watching today, hi, Mom. <laughs> uh, I'm always blessed when my mom is on live stream. I don't know if she is or not right now. But uh, one, of the, one of the great things about live stream is that things like that happen. And so, hi, Mom. <laughs> but um, while we were there, my mom did have some medical issues. We had to take her to the, hospital, to the doctor uh, where she has, has some x-rays and uh, put, put on some medication for water around her lungs. So if you would keep her in your prayers, she's doing okay. She's doing well now. 94 and a half almost. But uh, we always like to say she's the great grandmom of 19, and she's the matriarch of our family. So uh, keep her in your prayers if, if you can. But while we were away, um, you know, I thought it would be a good idea to have another speaker here on Sunday, and I thought of uh, Bill Unger. Uh, pastor Bill was our associate pastor for several years before he and Edna moved to North Carolina, and then they relocated back to New Hampshire, and uh, they're back with us now serving uh, our ladies' ministry, our senior ministry. Uh, Bill is on our board right now. He's an excellent preacher, but he's, uh, he's an excellent person, and he's a good friend of ours, good friend of mine. So please give him a warm welcome as he comes to share the word today. Amen. God bless. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, I want to add to that that uh, Pastor Rick is also a very good friend of mine. And, uh, and I think that's one of the best uh, recommendations that you can make to somebody is that they're a good friend. You know, you can, you can go, you can talk to them, and there's no, no sense of being, or having to be cautious you know, or, or, you know, try to be somebody that you really are not. Amen. So I appreciate that, Pastor Rick. Amen. It's good to be here today. Uh, this morning, uh, the first thing I felt when I woke up this morning was I didn't want to get out of bed. <laughs> you know, I'm almost 70 years old, you know, and when I get out of bed, you know, I'm like a toy, you know, from a store that, you know, some assembly's required. <laughs> and, uh, batteries are not included. <laughs> so I think there's some people out there that can identify with that. <laughs> Amen. But I want to uh, look at uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 22 and 25. Up there, the title of that painting is called Storm on the Sea of Galilee by Rembrandt. It was uh, painted in 1633. And uh, it depicts the scene from Luke chapter 8. Now, this is not a very good depiction because it's a picture of a painting. And, but down in the uh, uh, right-hand corner, you can see it's kind of dark because it, it is a dark scene to begin with. But there's a picture of Jesus there, and there are a number of disciples standing around and pleading with him, you know, and, and, and you may feel like this, you know. Uh, Jesus, we don't know what you want to do, but would you please do something? And, and I picked this up because I know that uh, there are several storms around us right now. There is a national storm, and you may be in, a, in your own personal storm right now. You may be dealing with something medically or financially, or maybe there's, uh, there's issues at, at work or uh, 
family issues. Uh, you know, you can probably find yourself in one of those categories. You can probably even invent one that I haven't thought of. But Jesus, in the midst of the storm, if you look at this picture closely, um, you see Jesus is the only one who is really keeping us cool. He's calm. He's in control. He's not worried. Uh, oh, by the way, um, this painting was stolen back in 1990. If you happen to find it, it's $10 million reward for it. <laughs> Luke chapter 8, verse 22 and 25. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and set out. And as they sailed, they uh, as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a squall came up on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. And the disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're, we're going to drown. And he got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. And the storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He, command, he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, that you gave your life for us, that you calmed the storm, that you have authority over all things. I pray for your anointing on your word here today, and I pray that we would look more deeply into what your word says to us. And we give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I read somewhere years ago that, uh, according to surveys that we're taking, that uh, sermons are really one of the most ineffective ways of communicating <laughs> because it only involves one of five senses, and that's your ear. But when you employ other senses, such as eyes, your nose, taste, then the, uh, the, or the, the rate of retention increases. And so uh, that's my only visual. <laughs> so what I'm asking for you uh, to kind of maybe just put the cross in front of me and focus on that and what, what the word is really communicating to you today. And, uh, and it's... Uh, I had some people that uh, at the first service that came up to me and showed me their notes, and they had more notes than I did. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, just just keep your focus on on Jesus, and, and not so much on the storm that I'm about to unleash. <laughs> the Gospels record two events where Jesus calms the storm. One is in Matthew chapter 14, and the story of Peter uh, trying to walk on the water, and Luke chapter 18. And in both cases, he rebukes his disciples for their lack of faith. Now, if it were me, I would be like one of the disciples. Jesus, would you please do something? I don't care what it is, but please, you know, do something. Uh, we're facing, as I said, we're, we're facing stormy t times today. Nationally and, and individually, there, uh, 
the fact that we're having to wear masks and you know keep our distance from each other and we can't you know can't hug each other and we can't do the things that we used to do so that's indicative of a storm that we're going through right now politically we've been going through a storm and and I don't think it's over yet and hopefully by this time next year it'll all be history but then there'll be another storm that comes along and we'll be challenged by that the diminishing of church attendance is a is a, is kind of an uh, one of the effects that uh, we see as a result of the pandemic uh, churches have closed pastors have resigned their uh, their churches, and there is this sense of discouragement, I think, among a lot of people. Uh, as I said in the first service, the uh, president of the Atheists of America Association said that uh, her conclusion was that perhaps America, this is a sign that America has come to its senses, uh, because the numbers are diminishing. In the past 10 years, they have diminished greatly, and in the past year, exponentially. This is true. It is also irrelevant. God is not concerned about how many people show up for church or whether or not they tune in to uh, live stream. Uh, numbers are irrelevant to God. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 18, we see that story of Elijah who was running for his life after this great event that takes place on Mount Carmel where uh, the, the priests of Baal have been defied by Elijah, and by Elijah calling down uh, God in the form of this fire to consume the sacrifice. And the prophets of Baal were not able to do that. And so there was this great event that took place, this great miracle that took place. And then now he's hiding in a cave in, in the Sinai Desert. And God has to tell him, you know, what, what are you doing here? In verse 18, he says, Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all, of, uh, all whose uh, have not bowed their knees to Baal, nor whose mouth have kissed him. Now, 7,000, that seems like a lot of numbers. Uh, it may seem like a big number. Um, but according to what I've studied, that... Uh, uh, it is believed that back during that time that the population in that area actually numbered in the millions. So 7,000 out of several million is not that many. So obviously God is not concerned about numbers. Uh, now you may be dealing with a personal storm like Elijah was. Now Elijah went into hiding and he's experiencing his own dark night of the soul. Now, now, when we think about the dark night of the soul, that's a term that uh, comes from the, the life of uh, Loyola, who's the first, who founded the Jesuit uh, uh, order in the Catholic Church. And he had, uh, he had made a living as a soldier of fortune. And in a, one particular battle, he was seriously injured, uh, almost, almost fatally. And so he spent a year in recuperation during a very dark time in his life. And he referred to this time as the dark night of the soul. Now, perhaps you've been through a battle of some kind. I don't care if it's an emotional battle or a physical battle or whatever, whatever kind of battle that you've gone through. 
it may be your dark night of the soul. Now, Elijah, he's sitting in this cave. Basically, he's having a pity party. I'm the only one left. Nobody, you know, and God shows him there's still 7,000 out there. But he also says, what are you doing here? What's, what's, what's going on? I've got a work for you to do. I didn't call you to be a, a hermit in a cave. Looking at circumstances can cause people to become discouraged and lose faith. Now, in the other instance uh, where Jesus calms the storm, Peter asks Jesus, let me come out to you. And he, he comes out, and, and he's doing great until he's like the coyote chasing uh, the roadrunner. He runs off the edge of a cliff, and he keeps on going until he realizes there's nothing underneath him. And then he goes straight down. That's exactly what Peter was doing. He was going down because he was looking at the reality of his circumstances. You can't walk on water. Okay, that's, that's impossible. You know, unless you've got some kind of flotation device, which hadn't been invented back then. You can't walk on water. That's, that's what your mind tells you. Jesus grabs him by the hand, takes him back into the boat, and he says, what, what was going on? You were doing good. What happened? He said, I realize, man, this is crazy. You can't walk on water. And Jesus says, you can do whatever you need to do. You can do whatever. God deals in the impossible. God wants you to do the things that you cannot do on your own strength because when you're in that realm, when you're in that realization that you do not have what it takes, that's when you begin to rely on God to do it for you or to do it through you. Paul said that I'd rather boast in my weakness because when I am weak, then I am strong because his strength is made perfect in weakness. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Therefore, the Holy Spirit uh, has been given to us. Now, this is Paul's answer to whatever crisis that you happen to be facing in your own life, whatever storm you're going through. But the first thing that, that Paul points out here is that we have peace with God. Now, in chapters 1 through 4, Paul spends most of that time talking about the fact that we're lost. Even those who don't know God, even those who, who don't have the law, they're lost because they have the law in their own hearts and they violate their own laws. They violate their own conscience. And so one of the principal characteristics of the love of God is that he holds us accountable. He holds us accountable for what we know. And if we know that we do wrong, God holds us accountable for that. That is an expression of love, because if God didn't hold us accountable, then he would not be a God of love. He'd be a God that doesn't care. 
Go ahead, do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Peace with God is the absence of conflict. As with any peace. And the fact that conflict does exist means that there is that potential to be separated from God. When God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit, uh, in the gar- of a particular fruit in the garden, he said, don't eat that. And Satan says, well, you know, he said, you know, you'll die. But will you really? And he says, no, he knows that you'll become like him. You'll know good and evil. And Eve's going, what's evil? You know, because you see, when God made Adam and Eve, as he says, you know, he, all things that God created, he looked at and he said it was good. Now, the unique thing about that is that when you compare that to all the other creation stories that were floating around at that time, like the Egyptians and the Babylonians, all these creation stories depict the earth as being created as an act of warfare between good and evil, however way that was articulated. But God created the earth deliberately for a purpose, and he pronounced it good. Not evil, not the result of some warfare, not uh, because of anything else, but because it is the nature of God to create what is good. And so Adam and Eve, they only knew two things, good and God. Because God created all things good. They didn't know what evil was. When God said that they will become like us, knowing good and evil, that means that we now have that choice. We now have that choice to choose to do what is good and to do what is evil. And history has proven that in too many cases, we have chosen to do the evil thing. Oftentimes, thinking that by doing a particular evil, we're actually doing something good in the long run. And a lot of bad things have been done in the name of God. In the Middle Ages, during the Crusades, monks would stand on the side of the road as the crusading armies would pass by. They would say, they would say things like, kill the infidel, God wills it. Perhaps you remember in the 1950s, those, who were, those of you who were alive back then, <laughs> kill a commie for Christ. And I remember Thomas Zimmerman, the uh, uh, superintendent for the Assemblies of God years ago, I remember listening to a sermon that he preached one time where he said that God and the devil both get blamed for a whole lot that neither one of them had anything to do with. But a lot of bad things are done oftentimes in the name of what is good or in the name of God. Paul teaches us that suffering uh, produces perseverance. Uh, Is there a storm in your life right now? Is there uncertainty? Is there any anxiety that you're dealing with? Depression? Uh, I remember talking to a uh, pastor one time. He was, uh, he would minister at Rutgers University in New Jersey. And uh, he said he walked into the cafeteria one time and he was watching everybody, you know, doing what you do in a cafeteria. And the cafeteria was crowded. And he said, all I could see is a sea of emptiness. You see, because we've been taught in our culture and in our educational system that there are no absolutes. If you do good, it's because 
you know, it's, it benefits everybody else. There's no right and wrong. There's just what's good for everybody. If you talk to an atheist and you ask, you know, what's the reason for living a moral life as an atheist, they'll say something to the effect that, well, you do it because it benefits everybody else. Well, that's pretty subjective. What you think is good for everybody else may not be good for everybody else, or may not be good for some people, may be good for others. You can't, you, you can't just take your particular conviction and say that this is good and you think it benefits everybody when in reality it's only benefiting yourself. Because everything that we do, we do for ourselves. Peace with God means that I am at peace, not only with God, but I am at peace with myself. In our classes on Wednesday, uh, we're studying some of the teachings of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he says that the knowledge of good and evil is a sign of separation from God. Because man initially only knew good, he only knew God, but now he knows God, or he knows good, but he also knows evil, and he has a choice to do one or the other. You know, when I look at some of the achievements that men have achieved over the centuries, like an artwork like that, um, you listen to a symphony, some great music piece, and you think man is capable of doing great things. Humanists will tell you that man is evolving, uh, not just physically, but also emotionally, mentally, psychologically. We are becoming better. Uh, man, you need to read the newspaper. We are not getting better. We're just finding better ways of doing bad things. But it shows that we are not in union with God. And what's really tragic is when Christians are no longer in union with God because they have lost the capacity to persevere. Perseverance produces character. Character comes from the Greek word character. And what Paul is referring to here is uh, the character of Christ. What is the nature of Jesus? What is the nature of Christ in a storm? When we look at pictures like this, and Rembrandt painted many pictures of, of situations where Jesus is uh, depicted. And I think one of my favorite pictures that he did of Jesus is, it, it's not the classical, you know, Western, you know, long flowing hair, you know, blue eyes uh, type thing, but he looked like a Palestinian Jew from 2,000 years ago. Nothing like our depictions that we have today, but he, he depicts Jesus in that particular mode, and there's no scenery. There's just Jesus, a little light behind him, and everything else is black. And the point that Rembrandt was making is that, and there's a very uh, pensive, worried look on his face. And the depiction is of Jesus before his crucifixion. And it's black. The world is dark. We live in a darkened world because of sin. And there may be, you know, lights here and there. Uh, but for the most part, we live in a fallen world. 
And this picture depicts Christ in that dark world with that look of concern on his face, knowing that he who knew no sin was about to become sin for us. Who lived throughout eternity in a state of perfection now is taking on sin, is now becoming that once and for all sacrifice. As it says in Hebrews chapter 10, he died once for all, for all men, for all time. Jesus doesn't have to be crucified every year like the Jewish sacrifices. And he was about to take all those sins on himself. You go from a state of perfection to a state of absolute depravity. This is the character of Christ at its finest. That he makes that ultimate sacrifice. Not only of his own life, but uh, leaving that state of perfection where he has to say, my, uh, why have you, says to God, why have you forsaken me? That is the character of Christ that lays it all down because of the love of God. That is the character of Christ. That is when people look at you and they look at me, what do they really see? Do they see somebody who knows how to behave themselves? Or do they see a dimension that is not present in other people or was not present in your life before? God gives us an abundance of opportunities to persevere. I know when uh, Edna broke her foot, she had to basically stay off her foot all the time. And so I had to do the cooking, I had to do the cleaning, I had to do this. And, and it's not something that I'm generally used to doing. But you deal with your own situation. You deal with your own problems. You deal with your own disabilities. And I find it very discouraging when people, Christians, get upset because the government asked them to wear a mask. Didn't the Bible say to love your neighbor as yourself? I don't want the government telling me what to do. Well, maybe the government's trying to save your life. Maybe the government's trying to keep you from hurting other people. So, yes, I'm an advocate for wearing a mask and doing those things because I know that 100 years ago people didn't do that and millions upon millions of people died from, uh, from swine flu uh, that they did not have a vaccine for. And largely because people were, a lot of people were not taking it seriously. Now, I don't mean to get off on a tangent here, but what I'm trying to say here is that if you love people because that is the character of Christ in your life, then you're going to do what is best for them. That wasn't in the outline. That's free of charge. Hope is the 
Uh, it is the hope whereby we can experience God's love. You see, what are you hoping for? You don't hope for something that you don't have. Your hope is for something that's coming. Uh, and that hope that you're hoping for is to be in fellowship with God. Not only in this life, but also in the next life. I am hoping for eternal life. I am hoping for the time when, uh, when I do lay this flesh aside that I will be, uh, as Jesus said, where I am there, you will be also. It all boils down to faith. Now, the disciples are in trouble. They're worried. They're in danger. They may drown. And on the surface, that may seem, that may seem to be a, an appropriate response. But Jesus is in that boat. Jesus is the one who's there. It all, again, it boils down to faith. Will you, uh, well, first of all, you will not find God anyplace else other than in the realm of faith. You won't find God in a telescope. You're not going to find God in a microscope. Now, you can look at all the wonders of creation and say, there is a God. This proves that there is a God. And an atheist can look at the very same thing, and he says, no, this proves that there is no God. Both have their different perspective. Both have a different way of looking at things. One is of God, and one is of man. It's just like our concept of right and wrong is not from God. It comes from us. After we, after we developed the knowledge of good and evil, we decided what was good and what was evil. And what I do is good. What you do is bad because you're going against me. You see, a whole concept of right and wrong, good and evil, is totally subjected to our own desire, to our own wants, to what we think is right and what is wrong. And what we think is right may be wrong in the eyes of God. And so that depicts, that denotes that broken fellowship with God. You see, but when we're in fellowship with God, we know what is right and what is wrong because it doesn't come from us, it comes from God. And it is based on faith. I cannot know what is truly good what is truly right outside of a fellowship with God. Science can't prove nor disprove the existence of God. Philosophy may leave you cynical and disappointed, even judgmental of others who don't think the way that you do. Now, as I said, you can take a walk in the woods and you may feel close to God as a result of that. But, and that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that, but you're not going to find God by doing just that. As I said before in the uh, other service, I've talked to people who said, well, I can find God in the woods or along the beach or something like that. And when you look a little closer to their lives, you find that they never do that themselves anyway. So it's just an excuse, it's just another lie. Now, you may feel close to God when you're walking through the woods, but are you going to feel close to God when you're in, in the middle of a storm? It's hard to do that. It's hard to feel 
the presence of God when things are not going your way. When things are going against, seemingly going against you. When, when your body tells you that God doesn't care. You pray for healing and healing doesn't come. And you say, why has God forgotten me? And people have lost their faith in God because of that. Well, I prayed for healing and God didn't heal me, so there must not be a God. Or if God is a God of love, why does he let all these bad things happen? God gave us a free will uh, to do as we please. And we can, it's not a question of whether or not we do the right thing or the wrong thing. It's the question is, how close are you connected to God? Because once you establish that relationship with him, you don't have to worry about what is right and what is wrong. You know what it is. Because it's written in your heart. It's written in your soul. You know what is right. But you still, because of your knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong, you may still choose to do the wrong thing. But if you do so, you do so out of fellowship with God. Do you feel God in the middle of a storm? Well, if you do, you don't have to worry about the storm. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. You see, if you're looking for proof to the existence of God, and you say, well, that proves that God exists, so therefore I'm going to believe, someone else is going to come along and say, well, that to me, that proves that God doesn't exist. Again, human evaluation does not bring you to God. Only faith in him. Perhaps you go back to the day when you first asked Christ to come into your life. What caused you to come to Christ? What was it that, uh, that made you take that first step? Now, somebody may have spoken to you or said something, or maybe you were in a sermon uh, somewhere. But the Bible teaches us that no man comes to God unless the Spirit draw them. Somehow the Holy Spirit did something in your life. The Holy Spirit spoke to you. I remember when the, when the Holy Spirit first spoke to me, it, would, it took me another nine months before I finally gave my life to him. But I was sitting in my room. I was a senior in high school. And, and I had this picture on the wall. It was a seascape, not like that. This was more of a calm, placid scene. I was looking at that. And for some reason, God spoke to me. I don't know why. Uh, He had no reason to. He said, basically the same thing he told Peter, follow me. That was it. I knew right then that God had called my life uh, into the ministry, even though I didn't know him. And it wasn't until... Nine months later, when I finally realized what I needed to do was not go into the ministry, but to go into God, to ask Christ to come into my life. Now, I did not pray the sinner's prayer in the four spiritual laws or anything. You know, I had my own prayer. I don't even remember what it was. But I do know that when I left that place, I left with him in my life. 
And God may speak to you in different ways if you're in a storm. Maybe you don't know Jesus right now, and, and this is your time to really say, okay, God, let's, I'm going to stop playing games. I'm going to stop playing the role. I'm going to stop playing uh, or pretending that I am something that I am not and become something that you want me to be. Jesus told his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. He didn't say, let's go to the middle of the lake and sink the boat. When God calls you to a particular course of action, he will get you to that place, but you will go through a storm before you get there. You will go through several storms before you get there. And Jesus will be in there with you. Now, Christians, uh, and I'm speaking from my own personal observation, my own, this is my opinion, okay, uh, from over 50 years of ministry. Christians in this country are lazy. Uh, and we give up too easily. When I was... Uh, working in ministry to the military at the base that we were located near. Uh, the base put out a newsletter or a newspaper every, every week, and on the back page they would feature a special interest story. Uh, they would feature an individual, you know, a military person, uh, and, you know, they would say, you know, who their favorite movie star is, their favorite this, their favorite that. And two questions were, uh, one is, what do you like most about being in Italy? And what do you miss the most about being in the States? And the part that they answered about what they missed the most was convenience. And, and the vast majority of times, that's what people stated was their thing that they missed the most was convenience. And it's because we live in a society that is convenience-oriented. A whole commercial endeavor is based around making life convenient for you. So we, we do the same thing with Christianity. We try to make it easy. We try to make it uh, fun. You know, we tell people, all, or some have told people, all kinds of crazy stuff that are wrong and that you don't need to suffer. And if you're suffering, it's because you've done something bad. Or it's because you're not believing in God. You don't have faith. A loved one dies after you prayed for healing, and it's because you didn't have faith. God doesn't sit on his throne with a little faith meter saying, sorry, not good enough. Try again. Read your Bible a little more. Do something. The walk with God is not an easy walk. Now, an illustration that C.S. Lewis uses is like standing on the edge of a cliff and looking down at the village where you live. And he says, there's two ways to get there. You can jump off the cliff or you can take the path back. Now, jumping off the cliff is going to be fatal, but you'll get there. The other way is, is not like an interstate. It's a path that is filled with rocks. It's filled with obstacles. It is filled with things that are going to get in your way. But in the end, you'll be in that village, you'll be alive, and you'll be where you're supposed to be, in the presence of God 
As I said, we give up too easily because we haven't learned what it is to persevere. We have not developed the character of Jesus in our lives. We've lost hope. And so therefore we give up. But it, as I said, it is hard. Above all, it is challenging. I remember back in 1963 listening to President Kennedy after John Glenn had uh, made his trip into space when he challenged the country to achieve the goal of landing a man on the moon before the decade was out. And he said, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. Living, excuse me, living the Christian life is not easy. It is hard. It is challenging. And that's what makes it, it, that's what makes it exciting. I would not want to do anything else except be a Christian. Because it is challenging. Now, you may feel like, uh, uh, what's that Jimmy Stewart character? George Bailey. Thank you. I knew you'd know it. Because uh, I don't have it on my outline here. He thought he hadn't done anything until he comes to a crisis point in his life. And it's shown what life would be like if he was not there. Now, all of us are like George. You do not know the impact of what your life will be. And you won't know until you get to that uh, place called heaven. And then you'll know, as Paul said, then I will know as fully as I have been known. Jesus did not bring you on this journey to sink your boat in the middle of the lake. If he says to do this, to go there, you will get there. So long as you stay close to him. So long as he stays in the boat. Whatever crisis you're going through, he's going through it with you. Jesus said, where I am, there you will be also. Not only in heaven, but also in this life right now. As I said, numbers are not important. Disciples are important. Show me one true Christian and I'll change the world. First Peter chapter 4, verse 16 through 19. It says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. The name of Jesus. That's what people need to see in us. It's just Jesus. Not some complicated philosophy. Not some theory. But just simply Jesus. God just wants you to be a simple Christian. Not a complicated philosophical Christian. We got too many of those already. But a simple Christian. For it is time for judgment to begin in the house of God. And we see it happening now. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will... Oh, you mean is this God's will for my life? Oh, apparently. 
because he's developing the character of Christ. And he's teaching you how to persevere. He's teaching you how to be patient. Who suffer according to God's uh, according to God's will should submit themselves to their faithful Creator and to do good works. That's all God is asking: to be faithful and do good works, whatever that is. Says, let us continue to do what God has called you to do, regardless of the storm. You will, like those disciples, you will get to the other side. So long as you're not like Peter and you lose faith. Now, Peter was lucky Jesus grabbed him by the hand. You know, if you're losing faith, if you're sinking, Jesus wants to grab you by the hand. He wants to lift you up out of that mess and put you in a secure place and that secure place is in him not in the storm not even in the boat but in him it's like Paul said that I might be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived by the law but that which is by faith so I want you to feel challenged today what is God calling you to do? And why are you looking at circumstances? Circumstances are only going to discourage you. They're only going to defeat you. But you have overcome the circumstances because he has overcome the world. We're going to ask uh, Pastor Rick if you'll come up and we're going to close in prayer. If you'll all stand, please. Stretch your legs. Get the blood back in your feet. <laughs> Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful again for the presence of your spirit here today. Lord, and I pray that you would minister to the needs of every person in this, in this room here today as your word has promised. And Father, I thank you once again for this opportunity. And I thank you for each person that is here today. I pray that your spirit would now be poured out in each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's let Pastor Bill know we appreciate that message today. Thank you. <clears throat> I need five minutes. Can you have a seat for just five minutes? Um, I think uh, we heard some of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in that teaching today, by the way. That was a, that was a deep message. Thank you for that. But, you know... Uh, We've been praying, last couple of weeks, we've been, we were praying for Easter, our Easter service. To have, um, you know, 80 people in the early service and 80 people in the second service. That's, that's our capacity. Pastor David and Michelle, I don't know what your capacity is at the river, but we had, we're allowed 80. And uh, last Sunday, we had 163 or 164 people here. And I think that's an answer. To, now, it wasn't evenly divided. I'll, we'll, we'll say that much, but... God answers prayer. God answers prayer. So this is what happened. A friend of mine, some of the brothers know my, my friend, Pamela's friend, Tony Casina. Uh, Tony lives in New Jersey. And I haven't seen Tony in person in a number of years, probably 25 years or so. But ever since we started live streaming, 
He's been on every single live stream. Sunday, hi, Tony. How you doing, Tony? Uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday night, Thursday afternoon. Tony is always there. So I thank the Lord for live stream, you know. But anyway, last night, Tony sent me a song on, on a text message. And I want to share the song with you. I'm going to have uh, James pl- play it in just a minute. And I, I, well, you have to promise that you're going to listen to the words to this song. Okay, everyone agree? Pro- listen to the words. Okay, a couple of things to keep in mind. Uh, everyone knows that I'm Pastor Rick. Uh, everyone knows that our daughter married uh, a Johnson, Mr. Johnson, Dan Johnson. Uh, just keep those two names in mind as we listen to this song. So, James, let's hear it. And then we're, gonna, then we're really going to close out the service at that uh, after this song.
Ain't that the truth right there? Love, love, love. Uh, if you're on live stream, you could Google that song. We couldn't play that live because of the copyright laws, but you could Google it. Love, love, love. Here's the tie-in. Every one of us is going through a storm. Every, everybody here is going through a storm. Let's love God. Let's love one another. And let's make it through the storm. Amen? That's all I've got to say right there. <laughs> let's stand together. <laughs> I could give you a three-point sermon if you like. Well, I'll, I'll let it go with that. Okay. <laughs> Every head bowed for just a moment. I just want to ask for a response. Uh, if, if, you, if you want to respond, if you're at home, you could send us a text or an email uh, or give us a call. But every head bowed. I wonder if there's someone here that's going through a storm and just wants God's touch on your life. Anyone like that? Come on. And anything in particular going on in your life? Come on, there's got to be somebody. I know there's many. Is there anyone here today that feels like, you know what? I've almost given up. I've almost given up. But today, I want to renew my commitment to my Savior and tell the Lord, no matter what I'm dealing with, Lord, I'm going to trust you with this storm I'm going through. Anyone like that? All right. Let me pray. Let me pray. Thank you. Father, Lord, thank you for a good word this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would help us, help us just just drop the anchor in you to love you, love one another. And, Lord, we're going to trust you to see us through the storm, the storms of life that we're all dealing with. Lord, it could be a health problem. Like we said before, it could be a financial problem. It could be relationships. It could be so many different things. But, Lord, there are certainly storms going on in all of our lives. And we just surrender uh, the, the the destiny. And the destination, we surrender this, this, this journey, this voyage. We surrender it to you, Lord. So, Lord, in, in doing so, we invite you, Lord, come into that boat with us right now. Come into our lives right now, oh God. Lord, let us renew our faith in you. Let us renew our commitment to you. And whatever it is that we're dealing with, starting right now, we will trust you to get us onto the other side. So, Lord, may your Holy Spirit be released upon us. Lord, your word said that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we would receive power from on high to be a good witness for you. So we pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit as we go through the storms of life. And in the process, let us be a good witness for you. And let us even be able to tell someone about you as we go through our storm and they go through their storm. Lord God, may love prevail. May love prevail. We thank you for this. I pray your blessing over everyone here, everyone on live stream. Lord, let us have a good rest of the day, and may your blessing be upon our week. Lord, only you know what's in store this week. But let us go through this life with you in our, in our boat, with you in our lives. We thank you. We praise you for it now. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Come on, everybody said amen and amen. Well, God bless you.